You are listening to the weekend message of Crossroads Church North Campus. Crossroads exists to make much of Jesus, and we do this by following in the way of Jesus and making disciples who love God and love others. To find out more about Crossroads, go to crossroadslive.com. Thanks for listening. Grace and peace. Good morning. Um, we're going to start in verse 27, Luke six twenty-seven. But I say to you who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Thank you. You may be seated. Yet another fun passage for us this morning. I was, uh, I was talking to Gary. We often refer to Gary as the resident laugh track. If you ever watch first service, you, you hear someone laughing. It's Gary. He always sits right here. Uh, but he was saying, I noticed that you're, you're breaking this passage up into two. That's probably wise because how to, how to love your neighbors in one week would be pretty bold and ambitious. And so we are. We're taking 27 through 31. And then next week, we're going to look at verses 32 through 36 as we really ask ourselves, how, how do we love our enemies? What does that really look like? And I, I think the one surefire way uh, to do that would be just to avoid people altogether. Um, but that's not what Jesus says. Uh, he doesn't really give us that option. And so as we step into this passage, I just want to start by praying. Uh, because there's, there's some heavy themes in this. Um, and what I also know is that the second uh, I say, how do we love our enemies? You have visuals, you have experiences, you have people that you're wrestling with. Uh, you have tangible examples that come to mind that you've been trying to avoid. Uh, and so I, I want to I just pray for us uh, that God would meet us here, that his strength uh, would be what guides us and leads us. So let me, let me pray. Father, as we step into uh, your word, Jesus, as we look to what you invited your disciples, what you invite us into, it doesn't feel easy. It feels really hard. And God, for some of us in this room, uh, it takes us back to places and to people we don't want to go back to. And so, Lord, I pray that you would uh, guard our hearts this morning. As you tell us, you, you guard our hearts. Your peace guards our hearts. It stands sentinel over us. And so would you do that? Would you help us to see what we need to see? Uh, God, would you expose what needs to be exposed within us? And Lord, would you help us to love as you have loved us? We cannot do this apart from you. And so God, we ask for your help. We ask for your strength. We ask for your spirit to fill us to indwell us and to pour out of us. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As Jesus was, was hanging on the cross, there's this profound moment where he looks down at those around him and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. This is what it means to, to love in the face of, of hate. 
And throughout church history, uh, throughout those who have followed Jesus, one of the uh, purest witnesses, one of the lights that shines brightest is brothers and sisters that we have seen who have faced uh, abuse, persecution, uh, horrible circumstances, and to stand in those moments, not in rage, but in love, loving the enemy. Responding with goodness instead of hate, blessing instead of cursing, praying for the abuser. And when we hear some of those stories, those radical stories of people loving their enemies, it inspires us. It challenges us. But sometimes I think it actually works against us. It can become this excuse because we think, well, I'm never going to have to face a test of that magnitude. And that's the story of a saint, That's the story of someone who really gets it. I'm just a sinner, and I I could never stand up to a moment like that. But what we have to remember is that all who call upon the name of Jesus recognize the fact that we're all sinners. And it's not always the big moments that we think are going to define us. Actually, sometimes it's the small daily decisions that we make that truly expose our hearts. Because we all have people in our lives that test our limits. We all have people who raise our blood pressure. We all have people who frustrate us. We all have people that we know are not interested in our well-being. And we have people that we're not very interested in their well-being either. So what does it look like to love your enemy? To love someone whose love will not be returned. How do you treat others as you would wish to be treated? Not as they treat you. And so we we are, we're taking two weeks to look at this idea of how to love your enemies. Because as Jesus is sitting down in this moment, he's speaking to his disciples, he's looking at them in the eye. Sure, there's a crowd around them, but he's speaking to those who are following after him. And he's teaching them his kingdom way, his kingdom ethic. And here in this passage, we come to one of the most radical teachings of Jesus. And it's not only radical uh, because he taught it, but it's, it's so radical because he, he truly lived it. He embodied it. And so we have seen that in this section, Jesus begins to teach the foundation of the upside-down kingdom. And we've looked at blessings. We've looked at woes. And now this week in verse 24, he really starts to move in to do some surgery on our hearts. And so he begins by saying, But I say to you who hear... Love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And so I want to just break this first section apart, beginning with verse 27 that says, but I say to you who hear, and I want to stop right there because to hear in the Jewish tradition was not just to hear uh, the sound of syllables or the inflection of another person's voice. No, to hear was to obey, to understand, to listen attentively to. This is why the Shema was so formational for God's people. Shema is the Hebrew word for uh, to hear or to obey. When we read in Deuteronomy 6.4, it says this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. The first word there, to hear, is Shema. 
to listen, to pay attention, to obey, to put the Lord first in all things and to pursue him with the entirety of your being. This was a prayer that would be said daily by the Jewish people, God's people. And now Jesus, as he's teaching his disciples the way of the kingdom, he begins by saying, uh, he says, to those who hear, to those who will obey my words, to those who will accept my instruction, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. These are four direct commands, four imperatives. He's saying these are things that you must do. This is the way of the kingdom, to love, do good, bless, and pray. But who is he instructing us to love, do good to, bless, and pray for? He tells us you are to love your enemies, to do good to those who hate you, to bless those who curse you, to pray for those who abuse you. This is heavy, heavy language. If I were to ask you, and now this is not a moment of response. I just want you to think about this one. If I was to ask you, who is your enemy? Some of you are like, ooh, ooh, I know, I know. If I were to ask you, who is your enemy? Who hates you? Who has cursed you? Who has abused you? It does not take long for faces and places to come to mind. Each of these words carries a negative moment, a negative person, a negative experience that we've, we've had at some point. And if you have breath in your lungs, then my guess is that your reaction to these, these moments, these places, these faces, is not to immediately respond with love. But Jesus says, I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. Love, do good, bless, pray. But how, how do we really do this? Well, to do this, we must begin with, with love. And not love as, as we make it, but love as it is. 1 John 4, 8 says, anyone who does not love God does not know God because God is love. This means that God and all of his actions are done in love. Why? Because he is the embodiment of love. His justice, his mercy, his judgment, his creative acts All of this is done in love because it's who he is. And our definition of love must be defined by who God is, not the the kind of romanticized feelings of, of warmth that we have towards somebody else. No, this love begins and ends with him. And this word for love that's used here in Luke 6.27, also used in 1 John 4, is the Greek word agape. It's a particular kind of love. Leon Morris defines agape as love even of the unlovely. Love which is not drawn out by merit in the beloved, but which proceeds from the fact that the lover chooses to be a loving person. This means that it's not a merited love. It's not a 
earned love. It's not always a reciprocated love, but it is a choice to love and be loving towards another. And what we learn of God's great love for us, his agape, sacrificial, moving towards us love, even though it's unearned and unmerited, is that in his great love, he sent Jesus, his son, that Jesus, through him, we might have forgiveness of our sins. We don't earn this love. He bestows his love upon us. And as the Father loves, so Jesus loves. And as Jesus loves, so should all who hear him, obey him, and follow in his way. So this love, it's a choice that we make. It's something we choose. We choose to be undiscriminating in our love, even towards our enemy. And just to be clear, there's not an understanding of that word enemy that lets us off the hook, right? We can't play with that, parse that, and be like, well, it just means someone who mildly disagrees with No, uh, the word enemy means someone who is hostile towards you, someone who is adversarial towards you, someone who hates you or someone you hate. And here Jesus is declaring, if you hear me, if you obey me, if you are to follow my instructions, you will choose to love your enemy. Now this was the conversation that I had and I saw in action with my Rwandan brothers and sisters when I was visiting years ago. They had experienced death, hatred, abuse, genocide at the hands of their literal neighbors. People who lived right next door to them were the cause of deaths in their own family. They had come across the ways and saw them as enemy and had killed them. And now, after the fact, they were trying to live on the same block together. And those who were following Jesus were choosing to love their neighbor, even the one who had brought such great pain to their life. See, this kind of love makes no sense to the world around us. And honestly, this kind of love makes no sense to us who are in this room. Because in these moments, we don't feel love. We don't feel drawn to love. Uh, We don't feel the emotion of, of goodwill towards another. No, we have to choose to love. But as one theologian reminds us, He says, Jesus did not command his followers to feel in a certain way, but to act in a certain way. Emotions can be elicited, but not commanded. Actions and the will can be commanded. Thus, the command to love one's enemies is not directed to how believers are to feel, but how they are to act. Often loving feelings follow actions, much like a caboose follows an engine. Jesus' commands, however, are addressed to the engine of the will and not to the caboose of feelings. What this author is telling us is that so often we allow our emotions to be the driver. It's our actions that Jesus is calling out in this moment. And so begin to act with love towards your neighbor. And those feelings may come, but even if they don't, this is the way of the kingdom. 
So when you say, I don't feel like loving my enemy, that does not mean that you cannot still act lovingly towards your enemy. But again, we hear this, we understand this. This sermon is actually very basic. It is exactly what Jesus is telling us to. We understand it. It's just trying to live it that feels so impossible. So how do we do this? How do we actually do this? What does this actually look like? Because what Jesus is inviting his disciples into, what he's inviting us into is a radical way forward. It's a new way forward. And these four commandments of Jesus point us to how we we live this, how we embody, embody this radical way of life that is found only in him. So the first thing he tells us is to love your enemy. So we love. We choose to love as we have been loved. We choose to love as God has loved us. Love becomes an active choice. Again, to lean into the love that you have received, to actively choose to spill that love over into the person in front of you, even when they happen to be an enemy. So we are to love our enemies. And it keeps going and says, Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. So once we've chosen to be undiscriminating in our love, then we're to do good to those who hate us. Good. The next right thing. Good. Beauty in action. And it's important for us to understand what Jesus is saying in all this, what he's calling out. Because he's giving us fair warning. What he's saying, the implications of all that he's, he's commanding of us is that you, you will have enemies. You will have those who hate you. You will have those that curse you. You will have those that abuse you. We should not be surprised by this, but we should also not succumb to the temptation to retaliate and to return with like for like. He's calling us to a a different way. We are to live the good way, the true way, the way of real life that is found only in Jesus. And so he says, do good to those who hate you. John Perkins, a pastor and a civil rights leader, when he was recalling a day in the early 70s where he was beaten within an inch of his life, all because of the color of his skin. He says, I remember looking at my enemies in between the body blows that continued to come, in between the beatings, uh, even as he was being told after he was hammered time and time again to clean up his own blood, he, he looks and he recalls what he would see out of his eyes in those moments. In his own words, he says, they were like savages, like some horror out of the night. And I can't forget their faces, so twisted with hate. It was like looking at white-faced demons. Hate did that to them. But what's so compelling in this moment is his response. He said, as I was lying there, I couldn't hate back. When I saw what hate had done to them, I couldn't hate back. I could only pity them. I didn't ever want hate to do to me what it had already done to those men. 
So I prayed, God, if you will let me get out of this jail alive, I really want to preach a gospel that will heal these people too. Do good to those who hate you. Choosing to love in a moment where you are receiving hate. We act in goodness toward the other. And when we are acting in goodness toward the other, what we are calling out in that moment is the imago Dei, the image of God that all of us bear. And we're calling it out, even in the evil that we are seeing before us, we're saying this action is evil, but this person is still made as an image bearer of God, this wayward brother and sister. And so I'm going to choose to do good to those who hate me. And by doing good to the created, you are honoring the creator. Let me say that again because I think this is an important distinction to make sure that we're rightly ordering our hearts. Where do we find strength in the midst of feeling so hated, having so much pushback come against us by doing good to the created? You are honoring the creator. You are honoring God. You are saying, even though this is broken and I'm calling it out, I see it, I'm still going to respond in your kingdom will, your kingdom way, and I'm going to show there is a better way in trusting in you. So we're called to love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. To bless. To bless someone in scripture is to speak good over them in God's name. To bless them. So when someone curses you, you're not to respond in kind. And listen, I get how easy that is when someone pushes on you and you've got that really good one-liner that you just want to get them back with to put them in their place, right? It's, it's easy and it feels so good when everyone's laughing around. You're like, that's right. But I, I heard someone say this once. Never wrestle with a pig. You both get dirty and the pig likes it. <laughs> See here, Jesus is saying, when someone throws mud your way, bless them. Do good to them. Love them. Don't just sling the mud back. Again, this is so much easier said than done, isn't it? I mean, I, I remember standing out in our parking lot right here as someone was just unloading on me. And they were speaking all sorts of vitriol, evil towards me, towards people that I love, just, just going off. And in that moment, I will tell you, I did not have holy and pure thoughts. I wasn't like, oh, bless your heart, you know? It was like, and I just, I remember being so stunned. I'm like, Lord, what? What do, you, what do you want me to say here? And, and I remember all of a sudden, all that started coming to me was the, the, the blessing of Aaron. The Lord bless you. The Lord keep you. Oh, there's music to it too. Keep it coming. <laughs> His face shine upon you and, and give you peace. 
And it kept coming, and I was like, Lord, this feels like the wrong time for this prayer. This doesn't seem like this would go well. But I didn't have any other words, and so I just started saying, the Lord bless you and keep you. And I wasn't saying it with condescension of like, let me play the holier than thou. No, it was like, I felt nervous, like, Lord, this feels wrong. And the person, they're still spewing all this stuff, but they're just backing away from me. And they get in their car, and they're out their window yelling at me, and I'm like, and, and may his face shine upon you. And may he give you peace. You know, and they're driving away, and I'm like, I don't know what that was. I don't know what that was. But it, but it worked. So maybe it's not always a literal blessing that you're supposed to give somebody. Maybe I took that very literally in that moment. But when someone's coming at you with a full head of steam, they're throwing mud your way. And it's not warranted, but you know when someone's coming at you hard, sometimes you hear just enough truth in it that you're like, maybe I caused this. And I just have to sit here and and wear this. Stop and say, Lord, what, what do you want me to bring to this moment? Lord, if my words aren't going to help this situation, if I, if I know my words are only going to add to the chaos, would you just keep me silent? Would you give me strength to be quiet? Some of you, I'll put myself in this character, sometimes the best thing we can do is not to say anything back in that moment. Because what, what have we learned about our words, right? When they come out of our mouth, you don't get to pull them back in. Right? You don't get to undo that. That's out there. So when someone begins to curse you, bless them. Invite God's goodness into the moment and speak it over them. Love, do good, bless And then he moves into this, and pray for those who abuse you. Now here, in this particular one, the weight of these words feels impossible. Because abuse here, this word, implies open hostility, harm, and in this case in particular, it's through abusive language. And I want to be careful here, because some of you have walked through abusive relationships You've had a history of abuse in your life that this is incredibly, incredibly triggering. And what's important that you hear from this passage is not that abuse is okay or that you just have to grin and bear it. No, what Jesus is making so clear and what he's showing us the way forward, he's saying that hatred, hostility, abuse, and animosity, it's not the way of life. That's the broken way of life. Jesus sees this as a direct affront to the way of his kingdom, the way that we are made to live in relationship with him and with one another. And in calling these things out, he's not allowing us to settle or to stoop to a lesser way of being, a lesser way of living, a lesser way of engaging the world around us. He's calling us to a better way. It's his way, the very way that he models We see that when he speaks forgiveness from the cross to those who are oppressing him. We see this when he invites those that he knows are going to abandon him into life with him. We see this when he loves even the traitor. This way of life is is clean and pure. 
But how do we do this? How do we pray for those who abuse us? There's a story, and I've, I've, I've told it before, but I come back to it because the example is so profound to me. Corey Ten Boom recounts in her book, The Hiding Place, that after living through the horrors of the Holocaust, she lost her sister. I mean, she just, everything we imagine of that time period, she went through in, in so many different ways. And when the war had come to an end, when she was free, her first instinct, her first impulse was to travel around and proclaim the goodness of God. To speak the message of Jesus because he was the only one that got her through that time period. And of all the places that she continued to find to be most hungry for the gospel, she said, every time I went to Germany, people just needed to hear the truth of Jesus and were there just to soak it in. And so at the end of one of her talks, as people would normally come around and gather around to speak with her, she was met by a man whose voice she recognized. He came up to her, and as the church was emptying, he was beaming, smile ear to ear, and he said, how grateful I am for your message, Fräulein, to think that as you say, he has washed away my sins. And then he held out his hand to shake hers. Now, Corey Ten Boom had just spent that hour proclaiming and preaching the uncompromising joy and life that is found in the forgiveness of Jesus. But in this moment of honesty, she says, I kept my hand firmly at my side. As she describes all the angry, vengeful, vile thoughts that boiled up within her. Because this voice of the man she recognized was one of her guards, was one of her tormentors, was one who had kept her oppressed when she was one of, in one of the concentration camps. And so as the thoughts of rage uh, floated through her mind, she saw the sin in them. And she simply prayed, Lord Jesus, forgive me and help me to forgive him. See, the honesty and transparency of this moment, the recognition of when we are met with hatred, when we are met with certain injustice and we just want to boil up and we just want to just attack with everything we've got, tear down, destroy. We have to recognize that that impulse to destroy is the sin within us. And she recognized it. And she prayed for herself and for the other. And I think this is what we have to do all the time. We have to pause ourselves. We have to pray for ourselves and for the other. As impossible as that feels. And so she said, Lord Jesus, forgive me and help me to forgive him. And she describes what happens next as, as she was reminded of God's goodness. And even reading it, I'm, I'm always reminded of the power and the possibility of the good news that's found in a life rescued by Jesus. She struggled to raise her hand, and she again prayed, Jesus, I cannot forgive him. I can't do this. So give your forgiveness. And as she took his hand, she describes what felt like a current passed through her hand for, from her arm to his. And all of a sudden, this love of a stranger once enemy in front of her, filled her heart. 
But it was impossible apart from God moving in her. But here's the challenge. And this is why I say sometimes we hear these stories and we're like, that's so inspiring, that's so incredible. But then we excuse ourselves because you're like, that's not been my experience. I've prayed that same prayer and nothing happened. I I prayed for the other. And there was no handshake that felt like closure. I'm still waiting for that moment to come. And still what Jesus is saying is love, do good, bless, and pray. That's what you're called to do. The result's up to him. That part, we love. We choose love. We do good in the face of hate. We bless with those who curse and we pray for those who abuse. We give it to him. Saying, I can't do this, but I know you can do something with this. And so I'm trusting, even when I don't see the results, that you are moving somehow and I'm going to live in that trust. So when someone is verbally hostile towards you, when somebody is coming against you, again, I want to encourage you, speak with measured words. Because what we let out, we can't get back in. And if the person will not respect what you're saying or listen to you or engage in an unhostile manner, they just keep coming at you, it is not weakness to walk away in that moment. Don't let anyone fool you. There's wisdom to walking away in that moment. When someone's just unwilling to hear. But the challenge is not to give up or give in to that person, but rather to pray for that person. For to pray is to change. And often in our prayers for others, God changes our hearts towards that person. And I can tell you so often, those people who are hostile, abusive, uh, that come at you with everything they've got, what they are trying to mask as best they can is the deep well of pain that they are living in. And that's not a means of justification. That's not to try and soften up your heart towards them or say, no, no, you really, uh, you should just take it. No, that's not what I'm saying. It's just a helpful recognition to see that there's brokenness, deep brokenness in the other, to see the frailty of their humanity and their deep need of Jesus. And it reminds us of our own deep need of Jesus because we cannot overcome in our own strength. And so he's calling us to love, do good, bless, pray. And he gives us these four commands that we're to live out. And then Luke, who seems to just love these pairings of four, he gave us four blessings, four woes. He gives us four commands, and then he gives us four examples. And these four examples are this, verse 29, to one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. And as we read this, I'm always struck by the imagery here. Because Matthew, in his sermon on the mount, he speaks to this idea of being struck on the face and offering the other cheek as well. And, and we always hear this in so many, particularly in our day and age, we just say, like, that's such a weak response. Like, someone hits you, you hit them back. You go hard. And Jesus is like, when they slap you, turn the other cheek. But what's, what's he saying here? What's he getting after? Well, in the Middle Eastern culture, if someone was to slap you with the back hand across your cheek... What they're saying is, you, you're dishonorable. You mean nothing to me. It's an insult. That's, that's what he's saying. I, I, just, I want nothing to do with you. And Jesus is saying, so, so when they dishonor you, turn the other cheek. Now, why would we turn the other cheek? Because he's saying, don't respond in kind. Don't wrestle with pigs. Don't get into this back and forth. There's nothing there for you. 
Instead, let your honor be your vindication. It's the same thing when it says, from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Your cloak is the outer garment. Your tunic is the one that went underneath that kept you from being exposed to the elements and from others seeing uh, all of you. And Jesus is saying, if they take your cloak, you just give everything. So what would you be? You'd be standing there naked in front of them. And you think that would be like the most embarrassing thing ever. Actually, that would be the most embarrassing thing ever for that person who demanded the cloak from you. It'd be to their shame that they would degrade you in such a way. And so Jesus is saying, just just let them have their fill and they will feel the shame of their own action in this moment. This is why Paul, when he's addressing the Romans in Romans 12, 19, he says, beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Their shame will be seen in your right actions. And this isn't so that we kind of needle people with our goodness, like, see, I'm such a goody two-shoes. No, he's just saying, respond in the kingdom way, and they will be embarrassed by their own actions. Respond in the kingdom way and they will be held accountable to who? Not just the people around them, but to, but to God. See, and I think we underestimate that all the time. That someday we will stand before him and we'll take account of our actions in the same way that those who have caused such evil, such atrocities will stand before him and have to take account for their actions. And then he continues on, give to everyone who begs for you, from you, and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. Again, Jesus is continuing to pull on this theme that the, the kingdom is generous. And as kingdom people, we're not to be possessed by our possessions. Instead, we're to find freedom in Jesus. We're to give freely and to not expect in return what we have, have given. Now, just so you know, it feels like I'm probably glossing over this last part. We're going to look at this more next week. That's just a little teaser. Come back next week. We're going to talk around this a little bit more. Because when you read at this, you think, if we took that to the letter, man, there's going to be a lot of poor people with nothing who follow Jesus. But the point he's making here is to be open-handed and open-hearted. And then ultimately, he summarizes all this with what we've come to know as the golden rule. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. Now, in the context of of all of history, this saying is not entirely unique to Jesus. But what is unique to Jesus is the way in which he says it. See, most uh, would speak of this in negative fashion. What you don't want to have happen to you, don't do to others. But Jesus puts a different spin on it. As you wish that others would do to you, do so to them. How you want to be treated, treat others. It may seem like a subtle shift, but it's a powerful one. Because it takes the posture from defensive to offensive. Meaning, you are the one who acts. You're not waiting for others to do what you yourself can do. It means if you are waiting for the other to finally come to their senses... If you're waiting for that call from that longtime enemy, if you're waiting to reconcile, if you're waiting to seek forgiveness from somebody else, it means you can take the first step. I know we don't like hearing that. I don't like hearing that. But what he's saying is you can choose to love. 
You can choose to do good. You can choose to bless. You can choose to pray. To do what you hope another would do for you. C.S. Lewis says, The rule for all of us is perfectly simple. Do not waste your time bothering whether you love your neighbor. Act as if you did. Again, we hear that and we're like, that makes sense. That's really hard. And Jesus says, but I say to you who hear, love your enemies, do good to those who hate you, bless those who curse you, pray for those who abuse you. And so let me just come back again. Where, where do we begin with this? We begin where we are. If there is an enemy in your life, if there is someone who can raise your blood pressure, if there's someone whose very presence has a hold on you, when they walk into the room, suddenly everything shifts and not in a positive way. What we're being called to then is to choose to love, choose to do good, choose to bless, and choose to pray. But here's, here's my warning for all of us. If you try to do this on your own, in your own will, your own strength, you can't. You will fail. This is only possible if you understand just how big the gospel is, just how good the good news is, just how powerful Jesus is. Because remember, 1 John 4.10 says, and this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. He sent Jesus in his love. He sent his son to be an atonement for our sins. Atonement, an idea that means at one bringing together what once was separate. Our sins separated us from God. God was not satisfied with that. He, he offers us a way through his son making it possible for us to once again have relationship and flourish with him because of what Jesus did. And as kingdom people who have been filled with the love of God, we are to spill the love of God even to our enemies. Because if anyone should understand what it means to be an enemy, it's each and every one of us in this room. Romans 5, 8 says, but God shows his love for us and that while we were still sinners, while we were still lost in our transgressions, when we were lost in our failures, when we were pursuing things other than him, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus sacrificed himself entirely for us, gave of himself fully. Since therefore, we have now been justified by his blood. It's not our own righteousness. It's his righteousness that gives us right standing before God. Much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, because when we were not with him, we were against him. We were reconciled to God by the death of his son. Much more now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. So if the gospel is big enough to save you, to save me, to save us when we were enemies of God, then the gospel is big enough, it is good enough, it is powerful enough to save even our enemies, our haters, our detractors, our abusers. So as he has loved you, love 
do good, bless, pray. Choose to love, to respond in love. And when you don't have the strength or the ability to do so on your own, which you don't, say, Lord, help me to love as you have loved. Help me to respond as you would respond. Do good even when goodness isn't returned by the other or reciprocated by the other because by doing that good, your actions are honoring to God. You are worshiping him, the audience of one that matters the most. Bless, speak God's goodness in all situations. And when you can't do that, read scripture aloud or simply just be silent. And finally, pray bringing yourself and your enemy before God. That the Lord may change their heart, that the Lord may change your heart. That one day, maybe, that, that enemy will be a brother or sister in Christ. And to me, in all of this, this is the starting point. We begin with prayer. When that person comes to mind, those actions come to mind, that moment comes to mind in the middle of the night and it keeps you up and you just can't go to sleep and you, you feel the, the anger rising and bubbling, you feel the discord, you feel all of the chaos towards this person. When you start to replay the wrongs that have been done, bring it before the Lord. Pray and remember the love of Christ. Remember that we too were enemies of Jesus. And yet while we were enemies to God, it was God who first loved us and we only are able to love because he has loved us. So being rooted and grounded in his love, may we have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that each of us may be filled with all the fullness of God, even in the presence of our enemies, even when we are hated, even when we are cursed, even when we are abused. May Jesus help us to love, do good, bless, and pray. Pray with me. Father, I know in these words, uh, there's pain, there's discord. There's hurts. Uh, there's, there's ways even in which talking about this um, stirs. And God, I pray that you would remind us that apart from you, we can do nothing. And where we feel like maybe in this moment we, we are failing towards our enemy, where we have not shown up, or, or, or maybe we're feeling the extreme opposite of that, and we're like, I, I still want nothing to do with my enemy. Lord, would your grace meet us? Would your spirit guide us to the next right thing? And even if that's a small step forward, would we trust you in that? 
Lord, would you empower us and equip us to be people that, not, that don't only speak of the goodness of your kingdom, but we embody it, we, we live it. We trust it even when it feels counterintuitive to our feelings. We trust your word above our own. So help us to love. Help us to see that we are loved. Lord, help us to do good. Not out of a heart that's trying to earn anything, but because of the goodness that we have received in you, would that just pour forth? Lord, would you help us to bless to speak your goodness in every circumstance. And finally, God, would we never cease to pray. Pray for strength. Pray for guidance. Pray for your words in moments where we have none. Pray for your guidance when we feel so lost. But also to actively pray for those who come against us. That we wouldn't dehumanize them, Father that we remember that they bear your image and that in you all things are possible, that hearts can be transformed, even deep-seated hatred can be overcome for you are the great reconciler. You are the great healer. And so God, we ask that you would move. We pray all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus, you are enough. And you are what we most need. So I pray as we go forward from here today, we would do so knowing that we don't go alone, that you are with us. And would your way, your truth, your life be our guide, be what sustains, be what fills. And would you help us to love as you love to do good according to your good, to bless and to pray for those around us. Be with us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. As we close this morning, uh, I want to encourage you, if you need prayer, or if you're just walking in the midst of maybe you're feeling uh, the weight of fracture in a relationship and you just need prayer, we'd love to pray with you. But as we leave this morning, may these words guide us that we would love our enemies, that we would do good to those who hate us, bless those who curse us and pray for those who abuse us. We cannot do this apart from Christ. So may his grace sustain you and may his peace guard your heart. God bless you. We'll see you next week.